0: Welcome to Psychopath in Your Life. This is episode number 105, and I'm your host, Diane Emerson. Today, I'm going to pick up the conversation from 104, the previous episode. We've been talking about victims and how psychopaths act like victims, how they create victims, how they pretend to be victims, and this whole big victim circle. So let me give you another quote here that one of them came up with. I thought it was pretty good. Just this, it kind of, we're always dumbstruck by things, but really there's a lot more plotting that goes on here. And most of it's actually in plain sight. So, what he said was, we engineer situations where people will behave is obvious. No, we behave, we, (laughs) let me start. We engineer situations where they know how people will behave is obvious. So they know what your response is going to be to a situation. Okay. Sorry for mongling that all up. Then we fail to behave in this way, forcing the other person to do so. Everything is just all one big calculated trick. And, you know, they get into this whole thing as far as this Disney-esque type love. And this is where... A lot of these relationships, if you start to watch your watch, like on these Dateline and 2020 shows and stuff, you'll start to see the patterns here. And there's always a rush. And the rush is usually like, well, they just met last week and I'll be darned. They're getting married tomorrow. So there's always this rush to kind of button the deal down. And part of the reason for that is because it depends on how well that psychopath can keep their mask on. And that has to do with you know, how how they were raised, sophistication, education, all those elements. So the trick with them is keeping that mask on because um, if a victim saw that evil, they certainly wouldn't become a victim. So they have this idea that um, they blame the victim and they say that if they weren't so out there with their, their ideas of what relationships should be. And then they said that they should... Um, And then it gets intruded on and replaced with something even remotely realistic. And by now, you'll most likely find that you'll be attracting the person that you wish you hadn't. So basically what they're saying is that if you have this image and remember, this person is getting this image from the psychopath. Okay, because a psychopath in most of these relationships, you'll hear some key words he or she is my soulmate and people are completely convinced of this stuff in a very short window of time so anyway so what they're saying is you're going to wish you hadn't if you didn't pay attention to some of this stuff so words of wisdoms. so what i'd like to say is that they also he he also had this interesting theory which i found and why they're talking about this idealizations is because the initial part of the early part of the relationships is to get people to idolize the person. So what happens is they extract information from the victim the vict- or potential victim. The victim gives up the information. So then there's a bonding that takes place. And then they start to actually idealize this person because this person is not only hearing them. Where other people may not have but it becomes like he describes it it's it makes it easy to manipulate when you have that idealization going on that this person is just the perfect perfect person on earth whether employee lover whoever they are so that becomes such a powerful motivator so that's what starts to set that bond there and so as he goes on to describe it It allows you to sell an idea to someone who really wants nothing more than to buy it before you even open your mouth. Pretty good trick, huh? It's buy before you try. So they've set up this whole plot and so they know what the answer is going to be. So it's actually, you know, a lot lot of thinking goes into that. And he goes on to talk about it. He goes, I've certainly had blazing rows where I've played the victim. And cruel and unreasonable expectations or bizarre twists of fate. But you know what? I was really rattled and I didn't intend to be that way. Yeah, I'm sure he didn't. So he goes on to say as most people want to believe a lie, which I believe this is true, I think there's some saying that it's easier to convince somebody of a lie. Than it is to convince them that it wasn't. And that was part of the whole um, propaganda from Goebbels and during World War II was that in order to tell a good lie to get people to believe it, is just tell it often and frequently enough, and people will start to believe it. And this is where I really kind of we need to get into critical thinking. Just because somebody says something, don't accept it at face value. So He's talking about this lie stuff. So that's why it works. And let me repeat. So most people want to believe in the lie because it keeps their world intact. So the truth would shatter my perception of reality. So what they're saying is you're going to have growing temptation to see it as something more because they will have set you up for all this. But remember, what they're telling you are just words, There's nothing behind all of that. So he goes on to say, on one hand, I can see how it would be difficult for a normal person to cope with that kind of environment for long. Yeah, well, that's why they keep going. On the other, I think perhaps some of you might consider how lucky you are. Yeah, I think a lot of us who've never been in one of these relationships are really lucky. And if you've been in one, you know, and it's interesting in the comments because it's pretty clear to me by people's responses, who's been in one and who hasn't, because um, I don't know, people are believing a lot of different stuff. So so he also feels, and I think this is an element of... uh, I'm not saying that what he's saying is right. What I'm saying is we need to understand why they're thinking these things, okay? And he goes on to say, I think it's possible that there is an element of some people seeing gaslighting when there is none. Once the paranoia sets in, every little disagreement sets off that glimmer, that part of the dream being realized, and you run in panic. And he gets. In, this is interesting because he gets. And I'll close with this. He gets into the complaining part because, um, he, he it's it's more detail than you probably want to know right now. But um, we got into this little row. I, I don't. Even, I I didn't publish the whole fight, but um, it wasn't really a fight, but it was a rather challenging back and forth because he was trying to complain about what a victim he was and how I was born this way and what a leg up I had on society and what a horrible thing it was to him so yeah he really went into the um he thinks that I was at an advantage well I guess in some ways we're an advantage um, but then if you look at it in other ways We're at a disadvantage because we don't understand evil. So that's the whole idea here. So give a handle on that little detail. So what, what what he went on to say was, I didn't have anyone to explain this to me. Well, I didn't have, see, this is the difference between a conscience and not a conscience. I mean, for example, if somebody in my life died, and I didn't murder them, obviously, I wouldn't call the insurance agent that day. Um, The day they died to try to collect in my insurance policy wouldn't enter my mind. Okay. And that's where we start to differ, but nobody had to teach me that. Like nobody had to teach me that I should probably cry or maybe maybe behave with emotion at a funeral, maybe not text and stuff because that's part of having a conscience. So it really gets to complain about this stuff. I had to work it all out for myself. You can have a guide, an instructor. It's shaking you out of your mold but I've always got mine and I'll always win in the end. So that's how victims work. They make them, they create them, they abuse them. And in the end, the best deal is to look for the signs, stop waving those red flags aside, Pay attention in life and know that um, it's it's never as easy as it seems on the surface. So everybody looking into these relationships and these cases that happen with these murders and stuff. I'd like to say one thing about that on the subject of hate, um, because I've been interested in how the words of hate evolve. I have had it interesting that with these two cases of these two women, Nicole and this other woman, um, I've never heard this happen before. Maybe it's just me. OK, but. I, you know, when I go to the YouTube channel thing, I have to, you know, it shows the videos and stuff there and I might pop in and listen to one for a couple seconds, but I see these titles and it's amazing to me. It's like the two most hated women in the world. It's like, (laughs) I don't know. And, you know, the other thing I find, which is kind of interesting and it's probably just me, but I've... I'm old enough to know women can be very abusive toward other women. I mean, I think probably some of the nastiest comments I've gotten have been from women. Um, but all that aside, I just find it interesting that everybody's talking about the two most hated women. We never talk that way about these men. So I don't know, just an observation. And everybody's all up, I guess, about this. I don't know, something's going on on Thursday. But, you know, Have you considered that maybe it's the FBI profilers going out there to talk to this guy? They're maybe not going out to, you know, make any changes in the case. So things aren't always what they seem to be on the surface. So with that said, I will look forward to chatting with you next week. So goodbye for now. Be safe out there.